You're listening to Spice Radio 1200 AM, and we are speaking to Margaret Adovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. This week's topic is, are we headed for bust or boom? What the next decade might look like for British Columbia. Margaret, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Fantastic to be here. Good morning. So let's dive right into it. A number of major projects are nearing completion. How is that going, and what impact has it had? What's on the horizon once those projects wrap up? It's been an exciting time, and uh, one example is the Trans Mountain Expansion Project that is set to become fully operational by as early as next year. And, of course, in the north, Coastal Gas Link, which is carrying natural gas, is 80% complete. And combined with its partner project, the LNG Canada Terminal in Kitimat, uh, that will all begin operating in full as early as 2025. We have another major one, Site C, BC Hydro's large hydroelectric dam in the northeast of British Columbia. And that's also marching towards completion, a massive $16 billion project. And it's going to help advance electrification more broadly across the province, adding new hydroelectric capacity that can be used in low-emissions industry or by households charging all these nice newly acquired electric vehicles. In fact, research released this week actually found that four projects these four projects in total employ about 18,000 workers, largely in the north of the province. And in some cases, that's even 7% of the working population in a couple of regions. I feel like this is presenting a tremendous confidence boost for the sector as a whole. Uh, we're really uh, approaching an exciting period of time uh, where not only these jobs uh, are affecting families and communities indirectly, but the huge amount of economic activity is enabling us to have the best economic performance in the country. And that was especially true during COVID, uh, while jobs and opportunities, you know, briefly dried up in many sectors. Uh, Some of them are still struggling a little bit. Uh, This kept us going on all cylinders. And what I'm hearing through the grapevine is that more investment is to come. And the opportunity now is for both federal and provincial governments uh, to seize it in earnest. And despite all these permitting challenges, some opposition pressures, and more, confidence in, among investors is really getting a boost from seeing these essential mega-projects march towards completion. Uh, not to mention, it's a trained-up workforce that's not ready to go further afield. Uh, that could be projects in your home. Uh, it could be projects elsewhere in the province or the country. And what a gift that has been. So I think it's really time for us to look at ways we can consolidate the benefits of this opportunity by driving towards more investment in the province. Uh, And I think there's more to come, of course. The proof is really in the pudding. Uh, Wood Fiber LNG in Squamish is essentially ready to go. They expect to hire about 800 workers during construction in the coming years. And, of course, like many projects, uh, this one entails many interlocking parts that are going to benefit communities and workers across the value chain. Florida's BC is going to be building new pipe to directly supply wood fiber, for instance, uh, on Coastal GasLink. Even though the first phase is uh, nearly done, they will be adding additional compressor stations. And for context, the pipe uh, is a pretty big one. It's uh, deliberately overbuilt, and as they add compressor stations, more capacity can be introduced along the line. I've heard even as high as seven times more than it's currently slated to to process. And uh, the Cedar LNG project, which is being led by the Heisla Nation, will receive its own small connector pipeline to feed it from the CGL main line. Um, they will also support the Xylism's LNG project being led by the Niska Nation. So it's an exciting time. Uh, other companies are also looking at this kind of stuff in earnest. 
Enbridge is planning over $5 billion worth of infrastructure in the next decade, including enhancements to existing infrastructure to even support projects like wood fiber. As I see it, it is a bit of a boom time, and it's really up to us to drive it forward. Now, forestry is facing some challenges because of significantly constrained fiber supply. Tell us where you expect that's headed. Well, a significant number of mill closures have been occurring, affecting thousands of workers now. And unfortunately, the latest ones hit this morning uh, following the closure last week of uh, their Prince George facilities. Canfor actually announced that the facilities in Chetwind are permanently closing. And its mill in Houston will also be shutting down for a number of years for major retrofitting. This is just terrible news for families. And more closures are actually possible if the situation doesn't improve. We're seeing the cumulative effects of many, many policy pressures. Um, The annual allowable cut is lower than ever. There's major inefficiencies in permitting and licenses. And, of course, deferrals coming out of the old growth review, uh, which are introducing quite a lot of uncertainty and just making it hard for the mills that need wood fiber to to find that fiber to produce product. Uh, It really emphasizes for me that policy decisions have consequences. And it boils down to an essential question, whether we want British Columbia and the workers that are already still in the space to have income to support their families or not by using those skills. It's important to consider as well that the main resource isn't even the stuff that's in or on the ground. It's actually the human capital. Uh, It's, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of people across the province that hold skills and expertise that have been owned by years on the job. And these highly specialized skills are an incredibly valuable asset. It's one that depletes if you don't put it into use. So ensuring that these are utilized not only serves a critical public purpose uh, in terms of enabling families to um, have a high standard of living, ensuring there's opportunities for communities, but it also makes use of something that is likely to decline if it's not put into active utilization. And essentially, the world needs forestry products. So why shouldn't it be Canada supplying, given how responsibly and effectively we we do this? News broke this week about a proposed gold mine in B.C. that has been in development for almost 10 years, with permit delays creating real uncertainty on when the construction can start. What's going on and what impact is it having? Yeah, so this uh, proposed mine, the Blackwater Mine near Prince George, is expected to be Canada's largest gold mine once operational. And Artemis Gold now owns it. Um, As a whole, the project has been seeking a permit for nearly a decade now. And, in fact, they're hoping to start construction this summer. But, of course, without permits from the B.C. government, it can't proceed. They've really laid all the groundwork that you need. Impact benefit agreements have been signed with local First Nations. A substantial portion of the preparation work has been completed. Um, In fact, a big chunk of it by local Indigenous peoples. Uh, And it ties into this broader narrative around critical minerals. Uh, These are the metals and minerals that we need to enable the clean energy transition. Gold is one of them. We need metals to build out the electrical components that replace the use of fossil fuels in sectors like transportation. Building your standard electric vehicle needs a lot of materials coming out of the ground. And it's especially interesting when these materials can be sourced from production methods that are themselves electrified. And what Artemis wants to do will really spearhead British Columbia as a low-emissions mining jurisdiction. They plan to do this in a couple of ways. Uh, They're going to have an all-electric mining fleet, uh, which I hear is sourced from a Vancouver company, 
And, you know, keep in mind, when we're talking about a mining fleet, these are really massive vehicles, you know, dump trucks that weigh about 200 tons. Uh, so many, many cars stacked up all on top of each other, uh, if you're thinking of your average uh, consumer vehicle. And they're also planning a new transmission line to bring clean hydroelectric power from the BC hydro grid to a processing plant. I think it would be the first of its kind in the world. And once it's operational, about four to 500 jobs are expected. Uh, but as we heard in Prince George last week um, from the CEO of Artemis Gold, who uh, introduced David Eby, the premier, making some remarks at uh, the dinner at the Resource Forum, it's really time for the province to get into gear, or as I would like to put it, to get its ducks in a row to enable this opportunity. And to wrap us up, where would you say we're headed, Margareta, towards boom or bust? Well, I think I should just put some of this into context here. Um, if we're talking about uh, specifically, um, let's say, Trans Mountain, for example, um, we're going to be getting fully operational early next year. A regular pace of tanker traffic to Asia is going to be set. That's going to signal a really big breakthrough for Canada in diversifying who we sell our energy products to. And currently, less than 1% of our oil and gas heads to Asia. And the U.S. is making sizable policy announcements and investments that is boosting the competitiveness of their own oil and gas but it is putting their closest ally, Canada, in a less favorable position. So we're obligated to look for alternative markets for the most valuable commodities we have, which includes oil and gas, minerals, metals, and forestry. That has been the foundation of our economic well-being that we've been experiencing throughout the first quarter of the 21st century. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that our resource industries in Canada are really establishing themselves as the cleanest, most environmentally conscious in the the world. Uh, Trans Mountain... uh, uh, for example, with its expansion, uh, is backstopped by what I would call the most rigorous marine safety plan in transportation history. Every single tanker is going to be guided by basically an armada of tugboats that help it safely navigate our coastal waters. And in the upstream, uh, as they say in the sector, the energy production methods uh, being used in Alberta's oil patch are constantly evolving. And by 2050, our oil and gas is going to be net zero emissions. And those sizable investments happening today are already aggressively driving down the emissions intensity of every barrel of oil. So that's an important piece of context. The real question is which factors will affect how our economic situation unfolds. This comes down to good policy frameworks from government, good application of those policies. That comes down to efficiency, clarity, consistency, fairness, agility sometimes when the situation calls for it, and most importantly, consensus building. We absolutely have the potential for boom in this province, the kind that keeps the engines of prosperity going for all. But we also risk bust if we can't get ourselves out of the slog of deferring tough decisions. So at this point, bravery and vision is needed more than anything. And if the provincial government and the federal government and leaders in the private sector can work together to set a vision for what Canada's economy looks like, then I think we're on the right track. Margareta, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. You take care. Have a wonderful weekend.